This is Taiwan Talk. This is Taiwan Talk on ICRT. I'm Eric Smith, and welcome to Taiwan Talk. The Long Ying Tai Cultural Foundation frequently invites scholars to visit Taiwan and share their views. The foundation recently asked Dr. Scott Rosell, a professor at Stanford University, to discuss his work with the Rural Education Action Project in China, a group that seeks to assist the Chinese government in identifying and finding solutions to closing the huge gap between China's rich and poor. Dr. Rosell told me China is changing at breakneck speed, but not enough is being done to prepare today's poor rural young people for life in an increasingly high-tech world. There's a couple of inevitabilities. One, growth in China is going to slow over the next uh, 20 years. It's already slowing. Uh, so then uh, as you start to, growth starts to slow, you say, can a country that experiences a slower growth sort of maintain growth and stability as this happens? And I think the, the thing that you have to look at um, in addition to the pace of growth is the inequality in a country. Can a country continue to grow from middle income to high income under extreme inequality? Uh, I think the answer is is no country since World War II has ever gone from middle income to high income uh, status with the levels of inequality anywhere near China. Let me ask you how extreme these levels are. So um, if, if you put China on a list of all middle income, I call them the aspirees, those countries, the, the Brazils, the Chile, the Turkey, Malaysias uh, uh, of, of the world, um, China is almost the most, has almost the most unequal distribution of income of any country in the world. And while other countries that have equally high income uh, uh, inequalities like Brazil, they're taking actions, just dramatic actions to try to lower that. China is basically doing very little about it. So uh, Brazil, Chile, Mexico, Costa Rica, their inequality levels are falling, even though they're very high. China's is rising. So if you take the growth from when China was very poor 30 years ago to China's middle income now, uh, dramatic results, a miracle, indeed. But to go from middle income to high income is phase two of development. And and the dynamics are actually very different, and the, the things that you did well in phase one don't necessarily work in phase two. And so what, what we're thinking is, is how do you bring down inequality in this second phase? And there's really only one thing that China can do, I think, uh, thinking in a world that's globalized, thinking in a world that's high-tech, and that you need to guarantee education equality for all. Hed- health, uh, so human capital equality, so mm. health, nutrition, and education. And uh, and that's where China has really failed. They delivered the basics of health, nutrition, and education, enough to boost them from poor to middle income. But in terms of the commitment to, um, uh, to providing every kid in China the skills that they're going to need to thrive in uh, the 2020s, 2030s, you know, in China's when wages rise um, and become uh, an economy very much like we see in Taiwan today. This is where they've fallen very short. And so if you look at China's education, health, nutrition profile, it looks much more like Venezuela or, uh, you know, Brazil during the 80s than it looks like 
South Korea or Taiwan or Japan, it, it, that they have severely un, uh, underinvested in this. And how aware is Beijing of their own failings? I, I mean, I think I actually think that it probably is a problem of neglect and uh, and ignorance. Many of these problems are very difficult to observe. Um, so my, my group is called the Rural Education Action Project. We're based in Stanford. We have collaborators throughout China. We've done a number of studies. For example, we find that 35 to 40 percent of school-age kids in poor rural areas are anemic. They're malnourished. Um, and if you're malnourished, you can't study, it's going to affect your cognitive ability. 60% of infants. So, I mean, I mean, we're talking about a third of China's uh, uh, future population are malnourished today. And if they don't solve this problem, they're going to become not only physically stunted, uh, wasted, but they're going to become cognitively impaired. I mean, literally, we're talking mm. about a quarter to a third of of China's, you know, uh, population is going to be physically or mentally handicapped. This is handicapped for a world, you know, that wants to compete at the high level at a high of tech, innovation, a right. high tech, globalized world. Right. It, they're perfectly adequate to farm. <laughs> right. So if you were a farming society, they would have been just fine. They have enough cow. There's enough calories, but it's just it's preparing them for that. And it goes way beyond this. I mean, there's problems, including with intestinal worms. Forty uh, percent of kids in Southwest China have have worms in their stomach, which leads to malnutrition, which leads to uh, sickness, and and leads to stunning and wasting. Uh, there's uh, all the and there's a, a number of other problems like this. So you know, if you sit back and you you look at China and say, are they preparing themselves uh, for the next 20 years uh, when growth rises and slows, uh, I think the problem is you, you, you really think that this isn't a sustainable solution. You know, no country has ever done it, has mm. moved from middle to high income with inequalities at this level. Tune in tomorrow for more from Dr. Roselle. I'm Eric Smith, and thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Talk. This is Taiwan Talk. This is Taiwan Talk on ICRT. I'm Eric Smith, and thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Talk. Stanford University professor Dr. Scott Roselle was recently invited to Taipei by the Longingtai Cultural Foundation to discuss his work with the Rural Education Action Project in China, a group that's trying to find solutions to China's massive inequality problem that could perhaps be the most daunting challenge modern China faces. Dr. Roselle says Chinese officials are beginning to appreciate constructive criticism, provided it's based on evidence and offered in the right way. As economists uh, in, in our group in Rural Education Action Project, uh, we do a lot of things with other academics, identify problems, but we like to go further, and, and we think it's, it's, it's absolutely a must to do, is we like to try to find solutions to mm. these problems. These are very, very dire times, and, and it's a very pessimistic story when you think about it. But, you know, China pulls off miracles, and, you know, there's exactly enough time starting now. So if they know and if they can see the solutions, you know, I'm optimistic that, that things can change. Well, it's interesting as well because uh, you speak Chinese. Um, you've been to China numerous times. You've been honored by the Chinese government. You've been given citations and awards from the government. And yet, here you are criticizing some of their policies and warning them that they're on a path to serious trouble. It seems that at least, if nothing else, the authorities in China are beginning to open up to a degree, at least to to accept a bit of criticism. Would you agree? 
Uh, yeah, certainly. In <laughs> it depends what you're criticizing them okay. about. But in but I, I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that, um, and it depends how you do it. You know, what our objective is really to uh, is twofold, right? Is one is to uh, figure out what are the problems and how to solve the problems to help. You know, individual families, individual students, uh, uh, et cetera, to to pull out of poverty and to live better lives. But I think that when you take those all together, we're also very interested in uh, maintaining future social stability. I think that um, only if you solve these gaps of uh, education and health and nutrition inequalities today uh, is that the impact of the social good tomorrow is very, very high. So, you know, I think we're all on the same page. And um, and I think the other the other key is, of course, is you know. If a professor from Taiwan or a professor from the United States, we get up and sort of directly criticize and, and do it in an anti-aggressive uh. way, that's going to be counterproductive. But if you, you know, collect evidence-based research that shows here's the problem and here's how you uh, solve it, and then you work with your Chinese colleagues who are you know, extremely talented economists, and you know, they then turn and, and write it and communicate it with national leaders, with regional and, and local leaders in a way uh, that, that it not only turns into a productive endeavor, uh, it turns into partnerships. And then what we do is we evaluate them. We try to find, do they work or do they not? Mm. And once we find if they work, uh, then turn that over to them. So, for example, there's a huge problem now today, and this is how we get back to so the rural-urban split, where many kids in many parts of China are living alone, right? Their parents have left them and have gone to the city. They're being raised by their grandparents who are illiterate, and they're living in boarding schools and sort of being managed by teachers who are very, very busy. So these kids, a lot of them get behind for many of these reasons of this unsettled house. So how do they catch up? Well, if if a parent in Taiwan's child got behind, what do they do? They send them to the bushiban. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they send them to a definitely. They, they, they send them to a uh, or several uh, bushiban school, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, they ask the teacher to take care of them, or they sit down with them at night and do their homework with them. Well, you know, Chinese kids can't do that uh, because their parents are gone, their grandparents are illiterate, their teachers leave immediately after school, and they're so poor that there are no bushiban. Right. Mm. So we've uh, working with Acer working with a, a Stanford alumni family that runs that uh, owns LCY Chemicals, um, together initiated a computer-assisted learning program. So Acer donated the computers, LCY supplied the, um, the support for the project, and we put in uh, uh, computers in 50 classrooms, uh, and there were 50 schools that didn't have computers. We had a computer-assisted learning program, all game-based, and the idea is is that this will supply the remedial tutoring for these kids who get behind. Huge impacts. Chinese scores went up. Math scores went up. And now what we're doing is we, we're now uh, collaborating with the Qinghai government, the Shanxi government, and they're spreading this across their province. So uh, Acer and LCY and an earlier project by Quanta, uh, we affected 5,000 kids. But now it's being spread out to uh, 150,000, and so, we hope that it'll be a million um, uh, by the, the end of next year. New solutions for new times, essentially. Right, exactly. Right. And, and innovative solutions, and, and once you show it works, 
everybody's excited. And it's not that China doesn't lack cash. They have great fiscal resources, but they lack the ideas. And then you show them that these work and, and off they go. I'm Eric Smith reporting for ICRT. A very special thank you to the Longing Tai Foundation for making this interview possible.